It's not often that Queen Elizabeth II lets the world know her innermost thoughts and feelings. But at a lunch today at the Guildhall to celebrate 40 years on the throne, she did precisely that. Please be upstanding for Her voice still hoarse from inhaling smoke and laboring under the weight of a cold, she delivered an unprecedentedly frank expression of personal sadness and regret. The stark admission of failure and a horrible year for the royal family could be seen as a plea for sympathy and forgiveness after what can only be described as a turbulent 12 months. But if it was public sympathy and forgiveness Her Majesty was hoping for, it might not be what she gets. Welcome to The Crown, the official podcast. I'm Edith Bowman and this is the show that follows the fifth season of the Netflix series The Crown, episode by episode. We'll be taking you behind the scenes, speaking to many of the creatives involved and diving deep into the stories. Today, we're going to be talking about episode four, Annas Horribilis. In this episode, Princess Margaret has an unexpected letter from her former love, Peter Townsend. When they reunite after over 30 years, it brings back the heartbreak for Margaret and exposes the friction between her and Elizabeth, who didn't allow her to marry him in the past. Elizabeth is also dealing with problems in her children's love lives, with Prince Andrew asking for a divorce, Prince Charles desperate to separate from Diana, and Princess Anne looking to marry a former palace equerry. And as the family disintegrates from within, a huge fire breaks out in Windsor Castle, leading Elizabeth to call 1992 her Annus Horribilis. We'll cover specific events and scenes that feature in this episode, so if you haven't managed to watch episode four yet, I suggest you do that now or very soon. Coming up later, we'll hear from Leslie Manville, who plays Princess Margaret, to hear all about her experiences of playing the princess. Can I tell you a little story? Please. How I missed meeting oh, her by one night. No. It's quite a good story. Head of research for The Crown, Annie Salzberger, will join me to tell us all about the real-life meeting of Princess Margaret and Peter Townsend. So I think it stirred emotions in her, very true to what we show, that maybe weren't there for him. But first, in this episode, between the royal divorces and the Windsor fire, it's a dark time in the royal family's history. I sat down with the director of this episode, Maya Iltuki, and I started off by asking her how she wanted this to look visually and how she incorporated this into her storytelling. Yeah, so we talked a lot about how to create suspense and tension in the visuality, almost like the, a sense of an impending doom. And so there are different tricks you can use as a storyteller, visual storyteller. And it's about camera movement, basically. And it's about mise-en-scene. How do the characters move around in the room and are part of creating new images? So that was very much part of, of our discussions. And then also the DOP I'm working with, Rasmus Wiedebeck. We strive a lot to, to work with light that looks as natural as possible. And mm -hmm. so that naturalism also gives a 
I think, obvious visual brutality because there's no, you can't hide as much. And so, of course, we had like huge lamps and lights and all of that everywhere. So we worked on, we put up lights, but we tried to to make it look as natural as possible. And so I think that's part of, of the gloom the gloom as well. And obviously we grew up in Scandinavia and we were both trained at the Danish film school. And I think there is a certain gaze. I never really thought about it before, but mm-hmm. but it's something that I spoke a lot with Peter about. What is the gaze? And I think it's something that just creeps in when you live in a country where it's dark, gets very, very dark in winter time, and the light is quite cold. Mm. And just the gaze on the world is affected by where you grow up and, you know. And so I think in that way, it, it kind of crept in. But Peter, he, he keeps asking me, where's the dead body, you know, and where's your where's your knitted sweater? <laughs> because I think sometimes when he looked at Rush's, he almost felt like he was watching a a crime show, you know, drama. because it's so dark and yeah, it's so dark and gloomy. I think he it suits the show. Yeah. yeah, it works, and it's so fitting as well for those locations that we're talking about. You know, Windsor Castle is is kind of this all those kind of royal palaces and stuff. As, as grand as they are, they're so old. You know, and the ghosts of these places as well is something that's really interesting. Yeah, and there's almost like a gothic, even though they're not. It's not gothic architecture. Yeah. There is a lot of wood and carpets. There's a lot of fabric here in in England, I found out. Also, just like traveling around in different areas of the country. You like like curtains and carpets (laughs) and bedspreads and (laughs) it's all very thick and heavy. You know, (laughs) yeah, yeah. (laughs) Just to add colors because we get cold so quickly. Not to be prejudiced, (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> but but it also yeah. I think really sort of emphasizes that devastation kind of both physically and emotionally that Elizabeth feels that the queen feels when you know her beloved Windsor Castle is affected like this and it's also not just the castle it's her. Yeah and and in, in we talked a lot about so all the marriages mm. breaks down basically in the first half of the episode and then the fire is around the middle. And so it's almost like a sense of being judged by God. Or that's what I wanted to create Mm. and recreate. The idea of the fire being like the final nail in the coffin and that's the, you know, the end of it all. And then she has to find a way to recover and rebuild and... And she always does, which makes her a fantastic main Mm. character because she's... She's so incredibly, incredibly strong. Yeah. And she just always gets up. And maybe that that can have something to do with her faith, among other things. I think also it has to do with the personality type, but I think also has to do with faith and putting your faith in God. My Lord Mayor, the anniversary of any occasion is a time to reflect. But in light of the events of the last 12 months, perhaps I have more to reflect on than most. 1992 is not a year on which I shall look back with undiluted pleasure. It has turned out to be an annus horribilis 
no institution is beyond reproach, and no member of it either. The high standards we in the monarchy are held to by the public must be the same benchmark to which we hold ourselves personally. If we can't admit the errors of our past, what hope for reconciliation can there be? How was it working with Imelda? With all the actors, I had a fantastic, fantastic collaboration. She's very, very inspiring to work with. She's incredibly smart. And so you have to get up early as a director to match just like an inch of that <laughs> and <laughs> intelligence. And so I found that our collaboration was very solid and all actors work in different ways and need different things, I think, from mm -hmm. a director. And so it's all about trying to find a language with the individual actor that inspires and can spark motivations and intentions in the scene. And so with all the actors, I try to get time to rehearse with them for us to find that language because mm -hmm. it makes it easier when we shoot and when we are under time pressure to know that we have, we have a language together that we can return to. She's very thoughtful and she knows a lot about her character. And that's also another thing when you're doing a TV show that sometimes you step into, obviously, Peter's vision for the show. Yeah. But also that even though it was early in the season and it's a new cast, they still know a lot about their characters because they've thought about it and embodied the character months before the shooting starts. And so, yeah. so sometimes it's not about me telling them what their character is. <laughs> it's about them telling me what they think their character is and then finding a way where we can enhance that and make that yeah. become understandable and uh, inspirational for an audience to look at. And also, I guess that part of that is them when there's relationships between characters of, I mean, Leslie and Margaret and Imelda yes. as Elizabeth, you know, that relationship and that bond has been a constant throughout The Crown. But I don't know, There's they, they've. it feels like that they've... Obviously, because Leslie and Imelda know each other and have worked together in the past, but they've brought something just really kind of deep and truthful, I think, to this relationship and this bond between these sisters. And it's, you know, it's interesting to watch that, particularly in this episode when Townsend's back on the scene and, you know, she's having this reflective moment kind of almost what could have been and, and all that kind of thing. It's wonderful to watch. And I wondered if that was something that you you were kind of privy to or observed or talked to them about, about, you know, the two of them, Leslie and Imelda, bringing their version, I guess, of this mm. sisterhood. Yeah, so I spent, obviously, a lot of time with Imelda in rehearsals and then I spent a lot of time with Leslie because the episode is divided between the sisters. And, yeah. and then we spent some time together but not too much time and it's also in terms of rehearsal that some actors likes to go on the floor as we say in Scandinavia I don't know what you say when you get up from the table the reading table and mm -hmm. go to the floor and some just want to sit by the table and be protected or protect their instinct and save that yeah. for mm -hmm. for shooting but but we talked a lot about the sisters and where where they had been as sisters I think they have an incredibly strong bond also because they alone share 
their destiny. And I, I guess that's true for all siblings or most siblings that we share destinies and we are becoming each other's life witnesses if we have contact throughout the whole life. I think what also makes them so special is everything that they experienced. They were not, you know, Elizabeth were not supposed to become queen. And so because of her uncle abdicating, her father becomes king and then she becomes queen. And so it alters their life fundamentally. The longest living witness of that is Margaret and Queen Mother. And so I think having experienced that have tied them together. And in a way, they're like night and day, or at least in our in our show and in our yeah. interpretation of them. But still, there's so much love and there's so much they share. And on our show, they revisit many of the same conflicts over and over again. And I think... It's interesting in, a sh- in, in this particular show because I think normally you would always strive to create new conflicts and to investigate new views and in order to entertain. But there's something, or at least I find personally, there's something incredibly touching and interesting in bearing witness to, to the sisters in the different seasons and see different faces and actors take on the conflict and the story, the history yeah. of a given character. You don't think I have reason to burn down my sister's home? Why would you do that? Because of what she denied me. Peter Townsend. What? Without sun and water, crops fail. Lilibet, let me ask, how many times has Philip done something? Intervene when you couldn't. Be strong when you couldn't be. Be angry when you couldn't be. Be decisive. When you couldn't be, how many times have you said a silent prayer of gratitude for him and thought to yourself, if I didn't have him, I'd never be able to do it? How often? Peter was my son. My water. And you denied me him. I denied you as queen, not as your sister. The origins of that story with Ben Miles playing Townsend and Vanessa Kirby playing Margaret, going through that and living that experience. And yes. now you can absolutely see, a, I guess, a through line to that kind of pain that's still there in Leslie's performance. Yeah, and, and the fact that Margaret feels that even the Queen does not even acknowledge the pain she has caused. And mm. on the other side, Queen is saying, yeah, but I didn't deny you as your sister. I denied you as queen. So again, it's about preserving the crown and this is the job. And so in a way, there's something beautiful about, or I find and touching about human beings and the human condition, the fact that we go back and revisit the same conflict in a new wrapping over and over again through life. Yeah. The casting is always just pristine and and perfect. And and that goes, you know, that's that's down to extras, to actors that may kind of turn up for a scene. And 
The casting of Timothy Dalton as the older Townsend is perfection. I just think that there's such tenderness to his performance and that relationship and oh it's yes. just it's it's so wonderful watching those two on screen together. Yeah, and it was one of those things where because historically on the show the idea of casting a star to play a minor character or a character mm-hmm. that has a big presence in a given episode and historically on the show it's not very usual. Usually we we go for someone who who is not too famous, basically, yeah. uh, for for yeah. those kind of characters. So it's something we discussed a lot. But I think, given the fact that Townsend has such a profound impact on the family and on Margaret and the relationship between Margaret and Elizabeth, it makes sense to to cast someone like Timothy Dalton in the character of of Peter Townsend. When that kind of fell into place for me personally, I could just see that I was completely the right choice to have someone Mm. like that to play him because Mm. even though he pops into this episode and then when the episode is done we never see him again there's something it makes sense in a way to give Townsend that leverage and to honor his legacy like that and something we discussed a lot is that how seldom it is that you see a love story folded out with people of a certain age in fiction. And so that's also yeah. something that we talked a lot about being wanting to expose that because we're so used to seeing with v- Vanessa and Miles, the old or the young <laughs> Townsend and Margaret. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, they, they, um, it's very easy to, to be in that arena and to, because we're so used to seeing that kind of love on screen, young. Yeah. Uh, love. We're not used to seeing that mature love that we expose on on episode four. And so that was something that we spoke a lot about, me and Timothy Dalton and Leslie, to be brave and to make it passionate and seductive and sexy, mm. basically. Yeah, feel that chemistry through the screen. Yeah, to yeah. feel that chemistry and to... Mm. And in a way, it's controversial, you know, <laughs> which is weird because it shouldn't be that, but it's just not something we're yeah. very used to. Yeah, definitely. That was lovely. I hope we don't leave it another 40 years or meeting again. Well, as it happens, I shall be back in London soon. And there are some things I'd like to return to you. The letters. Oh. Not as a rejection. I kept them all. Reading them, it took me back to that time. And I thought, they're so precious. I'm not getting any younger, and if anything should happen, I'd hate to see them fall into the wrong hands. So I... Well, I thought better with you. That's very thoughtful of you. As it happens, I kept all your letters, too. Every one of them. (laughs) Good night, Peter. Good night, Your Royal Highness. There was a lot 
going on in this episode. So let's get a little more context from our research queen, Annie Salzberger. Annie's been answering some key questions for us in every episode this season. And we have to know, did Margaret and Peter really get to reunite one last time? They did. And it's lovely. (laughs) Yeah, done. (laughs) Um... They, there are sources that say 91, they cross paths and she issues a invitation to come to lunch because he's due back in 92 for the Vanguard reunion, HM, HMS Vanguard, which we show. And he's there actually with his wife in London, but his wife decides not to join them for the lunch because she believes they should have a moment together. Yes, it's very lovely. And, you know, by this point, Townsend had written an autobiography called Time and Chance, it was published in 78, that divulged everything about their romance. And though it was respectful, it was still quite an indiscretion and it really hurt Margaret. So she actually hadn't spoken to him since that happened. She had had a friend of hers, a mutual friend, write to him and say, you know, why why would you do this? Mm. Uh, He ignored that letter. So 1992 is the first time they've seen each other since 1958. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And he is very happy. You know, he is still married to Marie Luce, who he married after his relationship with Margaret was very clearly not going to be able to move forward. And he has three kids and they live in France. And he seems he's a little curmudgeonly, we've been told. He's sort of that guy who's just like, well, in my time, but (laughs) that's fine. He was a genuinely happy guy. And what's interesting is I think there was a sort of slight misunderstanding about what this reunion was for them. For her, we've read, it was perhaps like a final reminder of what could have been. And for him, it really was like a final goodbye to a dear friend. He died three years later. So I think it stirred emotions in her, very true to what we show, that maybe weren't there for him. Hmm. That last kiss in that episode is, I think, exactly right, which you can see. For him, it's a goodbye, and it's been so lovely to see you one last time. He's not aware he's dying, but I don't think he has any intention of coming back. And for her, it's a kind of a, it was sort of reminder, a little frisson of, of that love that she had that got taken from her. And finally, it's time to hear from Princess Margaret, played by the legendary Leslie Manvo. We sat down together on set at Elstree Studios in Diana's incredible apartment not long after they'd finished filming. Princess Margaret's been on such a journey across the last few seasons. I asked Leslie where we find Margaret at the beginning of this season. Well, I think the series has begins, not that you would know it because it's not so much in the script, yeah. but... She's, she doesn't, she's not in a relationship. She's living on her own at Kensington Palace. She's lonely and she's made, and this is the truth, she's made a conscious decision to serve her sister and the crown Mm. and devote herself to that life. But when you get to episode four, you have Peter Townsend Mm. in his farmhouse in France, married with children, grandchildren, hearing her on the world service. He's coming to London to go to some ball that he suspects she'll be at, and he writes her a letter. And there's a lovely sequence where, you know, the letter's (laughs) there on the tray in the morning, and, you know, she's feeding the dog, having breakfast in bed, 
having a bath, putting on some makeup, fiffy faffing around all day, and then finally opens this letter and it's like, oh, it's from him. <laughs> Screaming at the telly, going, open the letter. I know. Open the letter. It's, it's him. And um, of course, it sends her into a bit of a, a flurry, you know, an inward flurry. Yeah. Dear Margaret, it is possible this letter will come as a nasty intrusion rather than a pleasant surprise. I'm planning a rare visit to London from the Ile de France and found myself wondering if you had any plans to attend the reception next week at the Caledonian Club. <coughs> For the crew who served on HMS Vanguard. <laughs> Peter Townsend. Yes. When was the last time you heard from him? Oh, must be 35 years ago. Isn't HMS Vanguard where you and Peter fell in love? Not sure it was love at the beginning. But of course it was love. At the very first glance. Although historically, by the time she'd been forced to spend two years apart from him until, as the Queen instructed her, when you're 25, then you can make decisions for mm -hmm. yourself, whether you want to give up your line to the lineage to the throne, mm -hmm. give up your privileged life and be literally Mrs. Townsend. You can make that decision at 25. He was sent to Belgium for two years. She didn't, they didn't see each other. So he, he comes back into her life and it makes her see the man she could have had, the man who she deeply loved yeah. the life she could have had if he'd have been accepted into the royal family mm. and she wouldn't have had to have make any compromises on her own position to be his wife. And she sees the lost love and looks at her life right now in the 90s, which is quite empty. Mm. And it fires up all of this stuff in her emotional turmoil and he gives her back the letters and she opens all the letters and oh I mean it's yeah it's heart-rending stuff and then gets quite angry with her sister and it's got such a whole bittersweet full circle of you know what he's there to tell her as well you mm. know the fact that he is he's dying and it's you also then feel so sort of heart warmed that they reconnected before he did yeah to yeah maybe in a way say to each other what they needed to say and I think in looking at Margaret and Peter in the context of the crown, crown. Mm -hmm. all 60 episodes <laughs> it needed to be tied up didn't mm. it it needed yeah. to have an ending it had to have some closure yeah so it's brilliant that it does the lovely um, scenes in the ball, the, the you know the, where they they, yes. they reunite, and it's lovely because there's a whole, it's it's almost like a little short film really because the arc mm. of the of them kind of dancing around each other to then dancing with each other yes. to the conversations that they have is beautiful to watch, and you see in your performance that old Margaret come out. Yeah, you know she's put up those barriers. She's kind of decided that this is what she's got to be. She's gonna and and then you just see them them fall away and you see you know it's it's wonderful to watch was that fun scene to shoot yeah it was lovely and I think it's we all know that the royal family is shrouded in privilege and 
you, you can have an opinion about mm. that. But what I like about those moments at that dance is that it could be anybody because it's about deep, deep, deep feelings and the need to be loved, mm. the need to be to have somebody in your life who loves you, who cherishes you, who looks out for you, who is there for you. And that that's very good that you said it's like a little story on its own. It is. It's like a little vignette, isn't it? And I remember when I was reading that scene, she's about to leave. And I remember reading it and thinking, for heaven's sake, woman, don't leave. You need to There's connect more. with this man. You can't just say hello and walk away and have a lovely conversation with Anne and leave him over there talking to his other regiment people. Yeah. You've got to come together and it's... It's so sweet that they come together over the Hoagie Carmichael song. You sort of forget that she's a royal. She's just this woman who probably still feels 18. Mm. And, you know, when they used to go off riding together and... Can I tell you a little story? Please. How I missed meeting her by one night. <gasps> no. It's quite a good story. I'm um, a breastfeeding mother, yeah. and I can't tell this story without name dropping. Yeah. I'm on holiday in Mustique with David Bowie. Great. With my then husband, mm -hmm. and he lives next door to Mick Jagger and, and then Margaret, you know. That's, so, a, that's a hell of a street. <laughs> <laughs> so we're there, we've been there about 10 days. I won't go into the details, but I get a breastfeeding problem, mm -hmm. and we have to come home. And David Bowie rang me up to see how I was, if I was all right. And he said, you missed a great night. I said, what, what, what did we miss? He said, the day you left, Margaret rang up and said, would you like to come and bring your house guests round to mine? We can have a bit of an evening. And Mick Jagger was there as well. And apparently I missed a great evening and she was playing the drums. <laughs> I mean... Oh, my God! What a time to get mastitis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, cabbage leaves at the ready. <laughs> oh, Leslie, that's an amazing story. Isn't it? Wow. Who'd have thought then? I mean, I was in my early 30s then. Was that period, that wasn't during the period that you were playing her in the crowd? No, then, was earlier. It? Okay. Earlier. Okay. Yeah. Because that would have been bonkers, wouldn't that, it? I mean, that was around the time Helena was playing okay. her and there were all those scenes in Musty. Yeah, of course, yeah. Um, and she was having parties. Wow. I know. <laughs> That's a great story. Did you have to keep it secret for a long time? Ages. <laughs> Absolutely ages. Well over a year at no. least. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And did, because I was, because you and Imelda are friends, <laughs> yeah. did you know about each other? We did. I, I think, think we were, because, well, yes, because they, when I met Peter, he said, Imelda, and I, and we, we happened to be with the same agents. We also knew, uh, I also knew because of that. Because then it got released that Imelda was going to be the Queen. Yeah. Obviously, you're going to re press release that first. Mm -hmm. And then it was, there was a, it was some time before it was me, and I had to do that with her mouth because she kept wanting to say, "But Leslie's in." Shh! It just seems so right that mm. we're playing sisters. So brilliant! It it really seems mm. right. Stardust by Hoagie Carmichael. You play the piano yourself, of course. Yes, I had lessons from a young age. 
My sister had lessons in constitutional history, and I had piano. Is music your first love? One has many first loves. When one reaches a certain age, one cannot help embarking on an audit of the heart, a review. One considers all those loves, those dreams and youthful passions in the context of a whole life. And it's interesting to note what endures. Some that remain and become lasting loves, and some that fade and one realizes were probably never true loves at all. Thankfully, music has been a constant in my life, and I expect it shall remain so. Does this final record have any special meaning for you? It does have special meaning, yes. Episode four, you know, really focuses on Margaret. We have the the Desert Island Discs mm-hmm. recording. Is that useful that you had? I mean, I imagine that, that the archive of that mm. is there for you to listen yes. to. But is that a useful thing or is it not? You know, in terms of you've got her actually, the recording of that, you can listen to it. You can be in that moment while she's doing it. Yes. Is that helpful or is it you kind of push yeah, it to one no, side? it was helpful. Mm. I mean, because we're not, you know, we're not doing impersonations. Yes. Yeah. So it's useful because you, you could hear at certain times listening to that an attitude coming through. Yeah. I mean, her, I was quite surprised by her music choices. I mean, I, that really did surprise me. Mm-hmm. I thought there'd be more of the Hoagie Carmichael Stardust type of yeah. music in there. Mm-hmm. But I don't know how much of that would have been the front. Yeah, know, I've got to put the brass bands and the religious music. The Royal Desert Island Discs it, 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 as a post. That's right. Yeah. I'm not sure about that. I'll never know. But I think you should record another version of it. As Margaret. As Margaret, <laughs> with your choices of what you well, think I she really should think she, Well, clearly yeah. she liked the Rolling Stones. <laughs> clearly. And the drums. <laughs> Who knew? Um, but, yeah, it was so I did listen to that and it was useful because, interestingly, unless you are probably even older than me, you won't remember hearing Margaret so much. When she was younger, she Mm. was out there and you could hear her voice a lot, except obviously television and radio and social media then was all kind of much reduced anyway. But there's very little recording of her in the 90s. Mm. Desert Island Discs was actually in the 80s. And then the research team found another recording of her doing an interview at the palace talking about her memories of being in Buckingham Palace when the war was on and then when the war was over. Yeah. And and it's a short little seven-minute interview. And that's really all I had. So I thought, well, people don't really know her voice like we know Diana's voice Mm -hmm. and Charles's voice. We're so familiar with the sound of them. Mm. People were not so familiar of, with her older voice, at least. Yeah. Have you got a, a memory that from this experience so far with The Crown? What's the thing that pops into your head of being the kind of the most sort of prominent memory? I think the showdown scene with Imelda, because from the moment I read it, I was aching to play it. Conditions are irrelevant. The prohibition is what counts. A prohibition, incidentally, you are not now extending to Anne. That is different. How is it different? Anne is a royal princess with no prospect of acceding to the throne, as was I. 
Commander Lawrence is a palace equerry, marrying scandalously above his station. Peter was a palace equerry, hoping to marry scandalously above his. Anne and Commander Lawrence are in love. Peter and I were in love. In both cases, one party is a divorce. See, the situation is identical in every way except for the outcome. She is being allowed to marry him. I wasn't. Her story ends happily. I did not. And yet, even after 40 years, you cannot bring yourself to acknowledge what happened to me and the part you played in it. It's a brilliant piece of writing. It's two sisters arguing as sisters. It's backed by Margaret's pain and loneliness. And the reason I also picked that moment is because the costume played an enormous part in that scene for me. Mm -hmm. Amy just made a suggestion to me and it, it just, for me, brought it all together. Because, of course... The royal family don't really do casual. Our version of a tracksuit at home. You know, I mean, Margaret does do a... She does rock a caftan and she <laughs> does spend a whole day in a caftan. But she was going round to see the Queen, so she'd have to be mm -hmm. in some sort of, you know, day dress, however casual. And her hair was not quite so struck. We, that was great. We just, just not so brushed through and structured. It was just a bit messier. Mm -hmm. But still, I kind of... I was in this dress and... I, I just, I thought, I, I wanted it to have a feeling about it that was sort of abandoned. Yeah. And I, I couldn't latch on to that bit of it. The language was abandoned. My hair was abandoned. But the rest didn't feel... And Amy said, well, she's got to travel there. So she's going to have a coat. Why, and this is going to sound really weird, but it was... She said, why don't we just throw on that old mink of hers? And it was brilliant. Amazing. Because normally the coats are quite tailored and structured. And I know we think of mink as being... But actually, for them, it was just a way of keeping warm. And it was a sort of, you know, we put on the mink. Threw it on. But because it was quite a loose mink and I could put my hands in my pockets and it did just feel like I've got this day dress on underneath and just throwing on the mink and... It, for me, just brought it all together. It was genius bit of costume designing, but not just costume designing, but Amy knowing what I was looking for. Amazing. I said, I just need something. I, we just throw on the old mink. Great. That, and that's so interesting because I remember in the last season when Helena has the showdown with her mum on the beach and she's got, she's got a mink on Over her, her shoulders. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's like it's her something arms, about her that armor coat. in a way. It's yes. kind of like just gives her some kind of confidence to confront, yeah. say what she needs to say. Yeah, because it, it's, it's like great. so decadent, but worn in such a I'm just nipping to Tesco's kind of way. <laughs> <laughs> Margaret and her mink off to Tesco's. I love it. But it's, it's brilliant because you still own her. You know, she's your Margaret in this, in your version of her. Although she's she was a real person, you're still dramatising 
Peter Morgan script based mm. on a real person. You, there are lots of different. There's a line to find, isn't there? In terms yeah, there of, is. There's absolutely a line to find, and and I find that line a little bit hard to analyse mm-hmm. because uh, I think acting and is a bit blurry. <laughs> I I, I trust my instincts more than I ever did 20, 30 years ago. And that's, I think, is to do with age and experience. But it is hard to define um, because you could carry on doing research on Margaret and the Royal Family forever. But we are doing a drama. So finally, you have to put all of that away. Mm-hmm. And the only thing that is then important, and I deliberately, I'd done all these little tabs in the books, all these books I'd read, all little pink tabs for good bits. <laughs> yeah. That I read them and I thought, yeah, that's going to come in handy. Tab that. <laughs> I've not gone back to one of those tabs since. I mean, it's in there. So it's in here somewhere. Yeah. But because finally I've got a script. Yeah. And it might differ mm-hmm. from actually specifically what happened but we're making a drama and I have to make that script and those scenes come to life and and you know also we're dealing with stuff that you can write a lot about the history and the historical facts of things and people can say yes I was at dinner with her and this happened and that happened but nobody knows what that woman was thinking when she went to bed on her own at night and when she woke up in the morning with just the dog there. Nobody knows Mm. what that woman was going through. So I have to imagine what she was going through and do my version of what I think she's going through. I'm Edith Bowman and I'd like to give a special thanks to our guests on this episode, My El Tuki, Ali Salzberger and Leslie Manville. The Crown, the official podcast, is produced by Netflix and something else in association with Left Bank Pictures. Join me next time when I go behind the scenes of episode five of season five of The Crown, titled The Way Ahead. Prince Charles hopes to move on from Annas Horribilis and make changes to the system that will help secure not only the future of the monarchy, but his own position within it. However, the release of some intimate telephone recordings between Charles and Camilla destroys all of that. But can he rescue his public image and assert himself in what looks like a failing monarchy? Historians will not be able to pinpoint a moment when the breakaway happened because nothing official has happened. But a change is happening. Sir. I ask you to look around you. What do you see? Not old, stuffy courtiers, but young, professional men and women of today. The way ahead group, or the lagging behind group, as I like to call them, <laughs> was set up to prepare the monarchy for the coming millennium. But it seems to me they hold some confusions to which millennium we're actually in. <laughs> I think as a guiding principle, if we're interested in saving the monarchy, we should do the exact opposite of what the Wayhead Group recommends. I think we all agree, and polls certainly show that the monarchy is in a rut, a dangerous rut. It's vital that people are given a reason to believe in and be excited about the future. And if one asks oneself what the future of the monarchy is, then the answer is, is you, sir. But right now, the problem is, no one knows you. They don't know who you really are, nor what you think or feel. I quite agree.
Subscribe now, wherever you get your podcasts.